Hello, hello everyone. Today we have another episode of the Max Potential Habits podcast. For those of you who have been here for a while, you know that this is your place to come each and every week for tips, tools, and inspirational interviews with awesome, incredible people who are out there doing it. And today we have on an incredible guest who's going to talk about the power of a strong mindset, how to create success through chaos, He's going to walk us through his journey of being a former NFL player, of creating a multi-million dollar business that went, I don't, I don't know what you want to say, bankrupt. He went bankrupt in a matter of 90 days, then rebuilt and is now a best-selling author and helps other people through speaking, executive coaching, and marketing, leadership, and he is a powerhouse. So welcome to the show today, Marcus Ogden. Hey, Amanda, how are you? I'm awesome. I'm psyched you're here. I can't wait to hear more of your story. I mean, just a little bit that you told me pre-show, I'm like, okay, we're going to dive deep and have some really incredible questions. Awesome. Now, here's the thing. I tell everybody that everybody has a story. The question is, are you willing to share it to help others? And a lot of times, I tell my clients all the time, in the beginning, when you're trying to share your story, expect that pushback, that adversity, that, you know, why, you know, why are you telling me this? But as you start doing more, it's going to help you get in front of more people and to start helping inspire more people to be great in their own lives. So true. I love, I mean, I think part of the reason I absolutely love podcasting is that piece there. It's like you get to come on, share your story and it resonates with certain people. And there's, there could be one sentence you say today that resonates with somebody to where it has them have some sort of perceptual shift and up level something in their life. And to me, that's, you know, why I do what I do. And I know it's why you do what you do too. Absolutely. That's exactly what I've been doing now for the last, uh, started in 2013, September now. So it'll be, it'll be, it's almost seven years now. Awesome. Okay. Start at the beginning. Tell us about your, your entry into the NFL. Let's start there. Cause I know that's a fun, exciting story for so many people who are the, the football fans that are listening. So for me, I went to a uh, pretty uh, big high school for, for sports called St. John's college high school. You might've heard one of our graduates, uh, Kevin Plank owns Under Armour, is a St. John's graduate. Oh, nice. Uh, from there, I went to uh, Howard University in Washington, D.C. Uh, it's a historical black college university right in the heart of downtown, uh, well, about 10 minutes outside of downtown D.C., where my father also went to college as well. Went there, studied finance, full football scholarship. But to be honest, Amanda, I did not want to be an NFL athlete. That's not why I went to Howard. I wanted to go there to get an education, play football, and I want to actually be an investment banker working on Wall Street because my father worked mm -hmm. in uh, downtown DC. He had his degree in economics and his master's in that as well. And he worked about maybe five minutes from the White House uh, in downtown as a uh, stocks, and stocks and bonds broker manager for a, uh, a group called the Federal Home Loans Bank. So that was my, I mm. thought would be my calling as well. So I did that. Uh, I interned at Merrill Lynch in college, loved it. I was like, okay, I'm all set to go. I'm going to go to New York, Wall Street, here I come. Well, then the NFL, right before my senior year, started, teams started coming to see me. I remember the first team came was the Houston Texans. I'm like, what are y'all doing here? Like, oh, we're here to see you, Marcus. We're here to watch practice. And I had no idea. Like, it was in spring ball you know, going into our next, into our, our, my last year. And I was like, man, this is interesting. So I looked at some different books and I saw I was like on people's draft boards and I had an opportunity to be, you know, an NFL athlete. I was like, this is really wild. I had no idea this was happening. So I said, okay. So I called my brother, who was also in the National Football League, who was a 12-year, he played in the NFL for 12 years, actually in the Hall of Fame. He's a top 100 greatest players of all time in the NFL. Wow. And I asked him for his advice. And he said, Marcus, give it one full year of everything. You play, you train, you do everything one year. You're 21 years old right now. Give it all you got. And that's what I did. And I went to an all-star game in Maui called the Hula Bowl. And it's kind of interesting now. A couple of people, uh, some big-name uh, players and coaches now. One guy coaches at North Carolina Chapel Hill. One of my teammates is actually now the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals, Cliff Kingsbury. And it was amazing just to go out there, play, had a great time. And I got drafted into the National Football League at 22 years old by the Jacksonville Jaguars. And uh, seeing that my name go across the ESPN board and hearing uh, my head coach at the time, Jack Dario, call me and tell everybody to stop calling you. Uh, we're drafting you. And then I saw across the screen, Jacksonville Jaguars select Marcus Ogden, tackle Harvard University. I was like, wow, 
And, and yeah. it's funny, Amanda, I'm actually the first and only offensive lineman to ever be drafted for my college in their history, which is quite an honor, to be honest wow. with you. Wow. I mean, I, I think it's fascinating because, you know, it's some often a lifetime dream for people that play football all their life. And then all of a sudden for you, it's just like you kind of fell into it. <laughs> yeah. Wow. How did you feel your first game? I mean, that must have been was, such was, an incredible experience. I actually, I actually wrote about that in my first book, uh, playing the Minnesota Vikings in Minnesota. Uh, and it's ironic that, you know, the stadium is not there as a bigger stadium now, all this type of great stuff, but it was really crazy to be, you know, because I've been playing at Howard, you know, which we had, we had about 5,000, as many sometimes at homecoming 10,000 fans, amazing. But there was easily close to 100,000 fans in that building. Uh, for me, I was like, wow, where am I? This is not yeah. Howard. This is not practice. This is not the the comfy, cushy, you know, bubble facility of the Jaguars. I'm literally in uncharted waters, uncharted territory. I didn't know what was going on. My eyes were big. And I actually was playing against a first-round draft choice who was my same draft class against me. And that was in itself nerve-wracking. This guy had an amazing, you know, 13, well, I guess 12, 13-year career in the National Football League. So playing against him, his name is Kevin Williams, was absolutely just Looking at it now, it was, it, was, it was awesome. It was awesome. But then I was like, wow, am I ready for this? But in football, you have two choices. Either you get ready, you go out to war and do your job, or you don't get ready, you go out to war and get your butt kicked. So I didn't want to do that. I, I wanted to give myself a chance, and that's why I ended up having a six, almost a six-year career because I was able to do what I had to do. And that's like being a – I mean, you told us earlier, that's like being a business owner. It's, about, it's like being somebody that has the right mindset, like – if you don't give yourself a chance to be successful right out the break, you're finished. You're finished. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking, I would imagine, you know, like when you see everyone there, a hundred thousand people, that's a big deal. But then right when you get into the game, you're, are you just in the game? Like does, oh, yeah. does the crowd just fade away? The crowd fades away. I'm yeah. looking at, I call, you're looking at your triangle, a guy on to your right, a guy on to your left and a guy right ahead of you. That's your triangle. Okay. Anything comes into your triangle, or you know where you're supposed to go in your triangle, you go after that person, to that uh, after that opponent. If you focus on the whole, especially while well, quarterback has to be the whole field, but as a lineman, now a center has to see a lot more. As a tackle, you have you have your triangle. If you lose sight of your triangle, and someone on the other side knows you've lost sight, you can get through one of the creases or the cracks. It's going to be a long day. So I had to learn that very quickly, and once I did. I was able to not get so mesmerized by the crowd anymore. I would just focus on the people that were in my triangle and the defense overall against mm -hmm. me and against our team. And that's how I did it. Wow. I mean, I, I love, I love how sports can be so analogous to building a business. If you think about focusing on the one thing and you really train your mind to go like, what is it that I need to focus on to get to the next level to succeed and excel in my specific arena? very similar, right? It's, a, it's that mindset training, like you're saying, like, okay, here, I, I can't get distracted by the crowd. I've got to focus on my triangle. Same thing when we're building a business. You know, it's, it's yeah. Well, if, if you don't focus on your triangle or you don't focus on the step-by-step -step process in building your business, you're going to miss something. Yeah. And the minute you miss something, and I can tell you from personal experience, I missed several things. And that's why I went from a 15 million dollar 14 15 million dollar year business to a bankrupt broke almost homeless out of business individual in less than 90 days wow okay so so why did you leave football I, i'm curious there i don't know your oh, I, just got, I, I got beat up i mean my back had injuries uh my and, and it got to the point where i couldn't perform at a high level anymore because my body you know had had so much damage done to it and I wasn't trained because my father passed away during my career and I lost sight of what really mattered, how to keep training the right way. And then I came back and did okay, but then my body just wasn't, wasn't ready for the, the impact. So mentally, my mindset was just not there like it needed to be because I lost my best friend unexpectedly. He was only 57. So wow. that really set me back. Uh, and I'm not very honest about that. I mean, of course, I'm not saying that's my reason or excuse, but it just really messed up my mental mindset and how I approached um, I approached the game at that time. And that caught up with me after, you know, after that little bit of a layoff and uh, my bias could not 
heal and could not rejuvenate like it used to before that. Yeah. Were you, I mean, I know it sounds like your, your dad passing was a potential pivot impetus, but what was it, were you, did you think you were kind of ready before that anyway, noticing the breakdown of the body? I mean, I can't think of a sport that's harder on your body really, you know, than. That's an excellent question. Uh, My body started to, but I was still good enough to recover and get out there and get after it. Uh, but as I got older, I mean, it did take a pretty good wear and tear, and I lost a few steps. And, you know, a lot of the veterans who are playing NFL today, uh, Tom Brady is a great example. I mean, is Tom what he was 10 years ago? No. But is Tom a great leader that can really get the young guys on the team ready to go? Yeah. So when you become a, a veteran at a, at, a certain, at a certain point in your career, you become more of a mentor, coach, on the field teacher to the younger generation. And eventually you and the team will have some type of understanding about what you're gonna do at practice. You're not gonna be out there as much, like you know, you're gonna do more help, you know, and you get to really make that understanding when you're that good of a vet and been around for you know eight, 10 years or so. And that's how you know you have to kind of keep yourself going because if you're out there practicing all the time like you were when you're 22, that's gonna eventually just tear your body to shreds. So yeah. so again, yeah, I just I had to learn that, you know, my body just wasn't going to respond. And even though I could do it earlier, a couple of years ago, uh, at that time, it just was not going to sustain. And I didn't want to go out there and get myself hurt. But more importantly, man, it gets my, my team hurt. So I just had to make the tough decision that, you know, football and I weren't going to be together anymore. I got a settlement check and then that was it. Wow. Huge. Okay. So I've I've heard this from certain athletes that I've interviewed before talking about kind of that transitional space between something that they've spent so many years doing that they really love and then shifting into something completely different. Did you notice, did you feel sad? Did you feel a loss or were you kind of like, I'm ready to go? Okay. I felt sad, lost. I mean, I was, I knew it was time, but I wasn't ready. So I was in a deep, dark depression in my transition alcohol, painkillers, nightlife, uh, just gambling, just, you know, up late, you know, up late, you know, go to bed four or five in the morning, we're like 12 or one, you know, 12 o'clock hits, you know, it's not, you know, it's not Tangerine tonic or, you know, a butt light or Miller light. It was go to a bar downtown, Baltimore around two and have drinks. And then, you know, hopefully I can stay, keep myself coherent enough to maybe go out that night and party and then, you know, try to, you know, you know, you know, get myself back home the best way I could. I mean, that was my life for about six months. Yeah. And, wow. Uh, yeah. And I, yeah. And, and the mindset, you know, all of my tattoos were either during football, a little bit, but most of them were out after. Um, it was my outlet. Now, of course, I'm glad I didn't do them at like 18 or 19. It would be like the dumbest stuff ever. But like now, everything's like, you know, family related. It's a temple to my family, like father, my grandparents, uncle passed away. A lot of family members who either passed away, uh, who are no longer here, or, or they were a lot of the time who were important to me. So I did a lot more things around that uh, base, but my whole body, you know, got the whole artwork you know, part because that was an outlet for me. Again, yeah. that was part of my negative outlet. Well, not negative. That was some part of my outlet that I did sometimes to not drink as much to try to do that. So yeah. but that was six months. That was six months, and then eventually. I woke up one morning and said, you know, wow, my mindset has got to shift at some point. Like, you know, Marcus, trying to trying to have an excess amount of Hennessy or Tangerays, you're 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 not getting anywhere. Like you're you're getting a headache and a hangover, but you're not, you know, you're not to the point where you're you can't do anything and like you're just doing this over and over again. So you're not going to leave this earth in this fashion. So you can either wise up or just keep defiling your body. You're gonna eventually do take years off your life. So I, I yeah. took the hand got up and I went to an event downtown uh, Baltimore and I met an amazing guy, uh, Congressman Elijah Cummings, who's no longer here. He was very close to President Barack Obama. He was a congressman in Baltimore, in the state, in Baltimore City, state of Maryland. And you know, he was doing an event at Morgan State, one of our arch rivals when I was at Howard. And it was a business event talking about someone in this room will become the next great minority contractor. If someone's willing to put the work in and, you know, you, they can not only get a seat at the table, they can create their own table. And I took his advice and, you know, I started a business and we were started off in concrete and then we evolved into site work uh, and became, you know, within four years, became the largest African-American 
subcontracting wow. business in the area of site work and utilities and site development. Uh, as a minority certified contractor in the city of Baltimore and the state of Maryland for two years. And we were on top and we, everything was phenomenal. Before, but okay, I, I can't, I want to hear more. And I want to, before I forget these questions, because to me, like so many nuggets in here, something I want to ask you to share with listeners is one of my favorite quotes is uh, by an author. Her name is Nancy Levin. And she says, honor the space between no longer and not yet. So it's these transitional spaces like you were in when you left in the NFL and then you're in between, you know, kind of stumbling and figuring it out. When you're in that space, what, what would you now tell yourself then and how to handle that transition? Because a lot of people listening, you know, we all go through these transitional moments where we're, you know, maybe transitioning out of a job or a relationship or, uh, you know, a death of a family member. And we have this moment where if we really honored that space, it could be an incredible growth opportunity. So what we have, I'm curious what you'd say there. So I would tell people to, and I tell us to clients I work with, consult with, your speaking job, if it's around this topic, take a minute, pause, and then think about three things you really do well. So for me, when I transitioned to my speaking career, I was good at speaking, I had a story to tell, and I wanted to, I was good at inspiring people, I was a people person. So that's kind of how I developed into what I'm doing now. Again, is it going to be easy? No, not at all. But you need to take time and figure out not one, not two, three things you do well. One's not enough. Two is like, uh, it's kind of like, you know, I'm half there, half this. You can kind of balance out, you know, it's kind of like, you know, one watches the other. When you get three, you tip the scale to tell yourself that these are the three things you do best. At that time, build your next phase of life off of those three things. Otherwise, you're gonna end up doing exactly what I did with my construction company. Starting something could work out in the beginning. It could sustain for a little while, but eventually you're going to hate it to the mm. point where you are going to literally either lose it or it's just gonna drive you to the point where you hate your life every single day and you don't want to get up. Which is no one wants to be in that state. And a lot of us do it because something I hear you saying is that, you know, if you take that moment to question yourself and go, what are the three things I really want to do now? I'm no longer in this space. I'm moving into another. Let's create some intentionality around my direction in a focused way instead of kind of just doing whatever falls into my lap. Just kind of, it's, it's a focused, very attention oriented process. Yeah. Versus being a lump on a log just saying, hey, here I am. Like, when I heard Congressman Cummings speak, I should have been like, yeah, you know what? Great speech, great man, this is not me. But what happened? Great speech, great man, and I followed the idea of money. My mindset was driven off of financial gain. That's exactly why I made a ton of money, but I lost it all in less than 90 days. Okay, so share. How did this happen? I mean, and so how you? How many years did it take you to build up to the fourteen, fifteen million dollar mark? Four, about five years. Four five, five years. Five okay. And at the yeah. beginning, were you enjoying it? Was it kind of exciting and yeah. new at learning curve? Was, yeah, I was enjoying. It. I was networking. I was learning. I was good at marketing. We were small, and if I just would have stayed small and grew soundly, maybe it would have been different in my business. But we grew small the first two years. Then year three and four, it was ridiculous because one of my, my mentor went out of business. And when mm -hmm. that happened, he was, he was in site work. And when that happened, there was no minority in town that could do site work that was bonded, had the manpower, and people liked. Mm -hmm. That was us. So everybody wanted us. And we were just getting contract after contract after contract. And it was just, it was absolutely unreal. And we grew way too fast. But what happened is, as we grew, so did my attitude, so did my ego, and I stopped being a very good, active listener. I would listen to respond. I wouldn't listen to actually hear and comprehend. And when that started to happen, my best team members that worked for me, I was about 100 employees big at my height. 
But one of my best employees was my senior estimator and one of my top senior leaders saw this happen with this project we were ha having for on, in working in downtown Baltimore. He saw too much money being spent out the door and no resources coming in because we were liquidating everything on this job. We were spending almost $100,000 a week in payroll at one point. And he saw, I was like, man, man, we have this line of credit with the bank and we're good and we're gonna get through this, Colin. Don't worry about it. Go home, enjoy your family, have a great weekend. I'll see you on Monday, come back with a brighter attitude. He came back on Monday with a brighter attitude because he gave me his resignation papers. And two weeks later, he was gone to a better job. Six months later, like he predicted, I was bankrupt. Wow. bankrupt. And I lost everything in 90 days because that first three months, we kind of just went downhill. Mm -hmm. And then November, December, January of 2000, so to November, December, 2012 in January 2013 all that money got spent almost two and a half million dollars wow February came around the bank denied our uh, our line extension we had someone who has a his he's a his father is extremely prestigious who was gonna buy out my partner's company my habit who's gonna buy out my partnerships of the company my partner lied to them about a issue that arose uh, in our business they found out about it, pulled the offer, had two, had three other people going to look to come in and buy out those shares at a base price, bottom of the floor, but it would have got us out of the thing. Well, we would have been probably pulled anyway, but what we thought would have got us through the curve, all one backed out, then the other, then one tried to stay in and pump about 100, 200,000 in. There was no way I was going to work. Too far gone. February of 2013, I knew the writing on the wall. Wow. By April 2013, house was foreclosed on, moved out. We drove down to Raleigh, and we got here April 12th of 2015, moved into our new rental, which is, by the grace of God, we got in there. April 2015, I'm sorry, April 15th, 2013, moved in. April 17th of 2013, both cars were repossessed by the repo man on the same day, pulled out of our driveway. Same day. Imagine, how are you? How are you? How are you feeling in this moment? I, I want to know. But man, imagine being a neighbor in a you know in a decent area, you know, yeah. nice place. We're at the nice rental. I mean, I, the fact we even got in there just is that's all God because there's no way we, we, we qualify to really be in there. But I had a job at Merrill Lynch, so I could show income. But of course, I got fired from that two months later. But that's not, not that's not a story. Uh, so imagine being a neighbor and seeing your neighbor's cars pulled off of the lot by the repo man, and you've been in that neighborhood for two days. Yeah, I want to know how you were feeling. I mean, because I'm imagining you know you've had a pretty you, you've had a, a lot of money flow in your life to this point. Right, like NFL getting paid well, building a powerful business getting paid well. What's going on for you and your story about yourself related to money? I got to Raleigh with $400 to my name. That's it. No credit cards, no friends. Well, no, I had to be like less than three or four friends. I also had four friends at that okay. time. Yeah. No family support. Um, no resources, no bank line, no nothing. Because it took me, I spent our last, I spent pretty much all of our, I spent the rest of our money moving down here. So it took us about $2,000 and, uh, and the mortgage company wouldn't take a check because they knew and it only took, they only took cash. They, I, guess, I guess they found I had a bankruptcy looming or they found out, someone told them that we were about to go on. So they said, no checks, Marcus, only cash. We took our last $2,500, well, almost our last $2,500 to move down here. The guy required a first month's deposit, cashier's check, and uh, a first month's rent prorated. That was about 3000 So when everything was said and done, beginning of, of April, I had $5,000. By the time I got through paying the deposit, plus the prorated, plus the movers, we had $400. That's it. That's scary. That's it. Yeah, it's scary, especially when you have no credit cards, right? Like, no credit yeah. cards. I, I've been in that boat. I know how it feels. It's awful. No credit cards and so no scary. sign up. No yeah. sign up. Like yeah. anywhere. Yeah. 
Oof. Ooh, okay, so now what? So I was working at Merrill Lynch. Uh, the NFL helped me move down here. And I, I, I was about to be homeless at the end of April, beginning of May. Because we didn't have enough money to pay the next month's rent. Like I said, we had $400. But the NFL, I applied for what was called the Gene Upshaw Trust Fund. And the NFL actually gave us, uh, granted us a, uh, a trust where they paid four months of our bills. Because they helped me move, or they helped me get the job at Merrill Lynch, and I got four months set, four months of you know severance, you know, to the creditors. We were able to get a car at like fifty percent, a little Nissan Altima, ridiculous, whatever the case may be, like after a car repo. So they paid those bills, right? We only had one car. We were, you know, we just living bare, you know, basically, you know, you know, bare minimum. I was at Merrill Lynch working in the PMB program. I'm like, all right. I'm going to get this turned around. I'm going to get to Merrill Lynch. I'm going to become this huge financial planner. I'm going to get us back on track. I'm ready. Fired two months later. I was failing all my practice tests. I was so concerned about building business. I forgot to study for my Series 7, Series 63. Got a job the next day to a construction company. A friend of mine who I knew from playing basketball at Lifetime Gym hired me, gave me a company truck, phone, laptop, First week's pay, $1,000 a week cash. I'm like, oh my God, I got $1,000, okay. So now in our account's probably about maybe $1,500. Okay, we're, here we come. What happens? Five days later, let me go back. So my wife asked me, well, who's my wife now? My excuse my girlfriend at the time. Do you have, a, do you have like an engagement letter signed? What do I need that for? Company truck, you see this truck in our driveway now? Now we got two cars. We only have, we have two cars now. You see this, this T-Mobile, like, Samsung phone we got here? He got me that. You see this laptop? I never had anything like that. We're set. Don't worry about it. Off the letter, who needs that? Five days later, I'm fired. They wow. shut down the parts, the sales and parts division of the company, and they fired me after five days. So wow. the only job I could get was I became an entrepreneur, and I started coaching football to the youth. And then uh, my kids were doing football training in the summer. This was like around like, you know, July, June, July. They get some money. I I made like, I made like 1500 bucks in a day. I sold like, you know, I was selling three three sessions of training with me for an hour at 129. I sold 15 in a day. I'm like, I told my, look at this. We just made a quick 1700 bucks. I'm like, this is like, we're just killing it. So now we have, you know, we're up to like 3,000 in the bank. And then because the NFL's paying our bills, it's like 3,000. Now, okay, now we're moving more and more. We're up to like four or five. We're, we're, we're jamming. I'm like, I'm ready to go. So what happens? All my kids are playing. Now the season starts in August. I don't see them as much. Yeah. So what happens? We're back from five <laughs> to like three, up and down. So what happens? I need another job. One of my clients I coached ran a custodian janitorial business. She said, Marcus, if you know anyone who wants to work night shift and take a job for $8 an hour and work, please let me know. I'm hiring. I said, when, because I was trying to do interviews with people, overqualified, you know, need to do a, a, you know, need to have an interview. I didn't have time for that. I need a job. I said, okay, what are you paying? She said, eight bucks an hour. I said, is it a background check? She said, if I can trust them from a referral, no. I said, when, I asked, when can they start? She said, they can start next week. You've got your, you've got your, you've got your employee. She said, what, Marcus? I said, yeah, I just want some extra work and help my family get some stuff going. And I'm trying to work, I'm trying, I'm trying to expand my network. So she said, Marcus, the best I can do is I can give you 825. Done. Start working as a custodian. That was in September 2013. I made $8.25 an hour working from 10 p.m. to 5 a.m. Doing custodian work, cleaning, wow. uh, you know, office buildings, nights. You know, it's like a mixed use apartment. You know, mixed use between some stores and some offices and some you know apartments and condos. And worked on the night shift. You know, cleaning up the hallways and buildings and scrubbing and baseboards and vacuuming hallways and taking out work in downtown Raleigh. And it's funny, I went back to that same spot about a month ago. Did a reenactment of what I'm going to tell you. So basically, I was I was doing that. Life was whatever. I had a job. I was whatever. I mean, it was I was happy to have a job, so I'm, and I, was, I wasn't afraid of hard work. Whatever. But I had a pivotal moment where somebody's trash, spoiled milk, rotten banana peels, everything you could think of horrible smelling, protruding smell, 
got on my body, bare skin and clothes, when I went to throw the bag in the trash, and there was a rip on the back of the trash, or well, the front of the trash, I didn't see it. Threw the bag into the dump, everything came right back on me. And that was my pivotal moment. And I tell everybody, nice. if I had been a custodian, well, I wouldn't be who I am today. Because without that wake up call, it was, my mindset was always, it was their fault. My partners, mm. the developer, the contractor, it was all their fault, it was never mine. And without that pivotal moment, Amanda, I would have never woken up and said, Marcus, no, 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 big fella, it was your fault. Nobody made you do that extra work, but your dumb butt without a signed contract. So that's when the moment came, and I just told you earlier, I sat down after I cried for about three or four minutes, well, probably about five or 10, and said, wow, my life has become this. I didn't have a problem being a custodian. That's an honest, hard day's work. I don't have a problem with that, right? I don't care about that fact. I cared about the trash getting on me and made me realize that I have put myself here mm-hmm. to feel like less than human because of the way I look and smell and feel after people's trash was all over me. And that's when I woke up and I said, okay, what three things do I do well? Then that's why I said, I'm going to start a speaking career. I'm going to help people. I'm going to inspire people. Well, didn't really work out that way in the beginning. Um, two and a half years, every job I did was free. Not one paid job. Not mm-hmm. one. Got my first paid job from Miller Mott College in Wilmington, North Carolina. And at that time, I was it was $1,500 for 20 minutes. And that was their 100th commencement graduation speech. And I took that along with some of my other free jobs that I had done, created a little little really rinky-dink website, best I could, what I could do, and I went out and pounded the pavement. And my mindset was work during the day, football training, football camps, what you have to do. Because I stopped, I worked as a custodian from September 2013 to March 2014, about six months. Mm -hmm. And then I said, okay, I'm gonna do this, and I'm gonna pursue speaking. That's what I did. And I did a lot of things, going places for free, $100, $200, whatever the case may be. And then I got my first big break for Home Depot in 2017. Uh, and then from there, the Fortune, 500, the Fortune 500 clients just kept coming. I did work for New York Life. Then I did work for MetLife. Then I did work for Cisco. Then I did work for Siemens. Then I did work for Axe Advisors. Then I did work for JP Morgan and Chase. Uh, I've now worked in the last four years for 15 Oh, excuse me, 16 Fortune 500 brands. Of the 16, eight are financial services. Uh, I've done work with a lot of insurance companies. Again, I've worked for New York Life, MetLife, and Liberty Mutual Insurance. I've done a lot of work in retail, the Home Depot Company, Manpower Group, which is the third largest staffing company in the world out of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And I, I work for them as a speaker, consultant, coach, trainer, but the mindset I had to push through those first two and a half years, most people would have gave up after about three or four months. Yeah, I was going to ask. So during that time, you're, you're still keeping your custodial job? For six months. And then in March of 2014, I went full time with doing football training. And then I ran a seven on seven camp during the spring and summer, which okay. made enough where I didn't have to do the custodian job anymore. Okay. And, and for you, was it this, I mean, because it sounds like you were just like, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to lay the foundation of building a new business in, in my speaking, because that's what I love to do. And that's what I'm good at. Got it. Okay. Uh, I mean, it, there's so many things just listening to you. I'm sitting here thinking or standing here thinking about how powerful it is to have those pivotal moments first, because I know that everyone listening and including myself has had those moments that change your life forever. You know, where it's like, I mean, such a big, powerful one for you. I mean, you're literally standing there with trash on you and it, it feel, you feel like trash and you realize I've created this myself. Like I, there is no one to blame here, but me. And I know, you know, people get stuck with this. They, they often want to blame other people. They point sure. the finger. Everyone else is, is it's easy. It's totally. Easy to yeah. And it, and for, you know, for me and in, in my, in my world of coaching, people always talk about radical responsibility. And it's that moment that you're talking about where you were like, I'm radically responsible for my reality. And the more I blame other people, the more, the less power I have. 
So you yep. lose all your power when you blame other people because they're not going to change for you. You've got to change you. It's so big. And then, you know, and then I really love this idea of you going, okay, what am I good at? And how am I going to just take the time to nurture and cultivate that over time and know that it's not going to happen overnight. And I got to keep plugging in every single day to get where I actually want to go. And then now look where you are. So talk a little bit about, you know, that, I mean, first for people listening, what's some encouragement that you can provide for people who are in that place of doing a, a dual hustle to shift into what they really want to be doing? They need to remember that the dual hustle is only going to become a single hustle if you keep hustling. <laughs> and you cannot allow negativity or spite, ridicule to knock you off track. That's what happened to me. I almost got knocked off track several times because I was so focused on the negativity. I wasn't mm -hmm. listening to my inner self. And I'm just going to tell you a long time. You've got to find your why. And it's got to be more than just a person or a situation. It's got to be a deep-rooted why. So, like, for me, I watched my father, who made a ton of money in his early part of his life, pass away very broke, dilapidated with nothing because he had invested so much in his sons, which I don't, I don't begrudge him for. He didn't take care of himself. And my why deep-rooted why is I don't want to be, I'm, I'm, I'm 39, I don't want to be in my 50s and not have anything where I can't leave my family or I can't give to my legacy because I have not done a good job of preparing an agenda or anticipating, preparing, and executing an agenda that's necessary to sustain not just really wealth, but a legacy that they can be proud of, which of course, if you have a legacy and you can do what you're supposed to do for your client base, you will make money doing that. So if you have a dual hustle, like me right now, like we have eight or nine ways of making money. We do speaking, yeah. I do webinars, I do coaching, I do consulting, I'm a brand ambassador, I've done, you know, I, I'm an influencer, I have a book, our, 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 our audio book, it gets released in like less than a month. You know, uh, my wife's a teacher, she goes writes books. So, you know, you never take the dual hustle, well, you don't, you never take the hustle out. You mm -hmm. want to focus on ways to create multiple streams of income off your one hustle if you get self-sustained enough. Yeah. But for me, I work harder now, which I'm fine, like, fine. I tell my wife all the time, I remember like in 2007, 16, 17, 18, I mean, I used to be able to, like, come home and, like, you know, we had a TV, we had cable, I used to watch, like, the match show and match game and this, that, and the other. And, you know, I was, you know, I was getting paid to speak. I had a couple clients coaching, but nothing like I me, mean, but not today. I mean, I've got 25 one-on-one -on -one clients, you know, one-on-one. Yeah. -on -one. I've got a company where I consult with, I work with all their sales team and leadership teams, like 60 people. I've got, you know, our team, we're going to talk to a, an accounting firm on Monday about potentially working with them on a consulting opportunity. I mean, yeah. I work a heck of a lot more now than I did then. But that's okay, because at the end of the day, I just don't want to sit around. I mean, I don't want to be the marshal who used to watch the match game like I used to, or, you know, or Price is Right, or whatever the heck I watched. I mean, yeah. like, you want to evolve in advance, and it's got to come from a place of actually saying, hey, I do this and I want to get this to work. So just, you know, for people that are watching, just understand that the hustle mentality never comes off. But if you're dual hustling, if you, if you really continue to hustle, it'll become a single hustle not after too long. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I think you're bringing up a lot of good points in terms of, I think one of the biggest lessons from COVID is multiple streams of income. I think it's a huge lesson in, you know, how fast can you pivot? How many, how many places are you able to bring in money from your skill set, from your expertise, from things you love doing? And it's a really, uh, I love that you're highlighting that because it's like from one business platform, you could have multiple streams of income. You know, sure. you, exactly. I'm, you know, my business is built a very similar way. It's like, oh, I'm, you know, I have online courses. I do coaching, group coaching, podcasting. You know, I have, I have other affiliate businesses. I do all kinds of stuff, constantly thinking like building wealth for the future, larger impact, and all in my in my zone of genius, right? Like it's things that I love to do. I educate people on, you know, money and protecting their money and building their wealth. But then it's also like, okay, let's have a networking community. And it's just this nonstop drive to go, okay, how can I create a platform for myself that's sustainable and, and, you know, uh, resistant to anything that could come up in the global economy while also making the largest impact doing the things I love every day so that it feels like play. 
you know, so yep. you, you said you're, you're working a lot more, but does it, it probably feels a lot better than staying up all night, you know, cleaning office buildings. Oh yeah. And- <laughs> it's, 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 it's not, it's, it's hard. It's hard work, but I love my work. So yeah. I don't really consider it like it's not manual labor or mm-hmm. it's not like, you know, hard, heavy lifting like I used to do when I was you know, coaching football, running these camps. It's more of a mental thing I have to do, which is fine. And that's the way it's, so it's, 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 it's much more enjoyable because it's impacting people's lives and it's connecting people to help them get to where they want to go. Yeah. What's your, I'm curious what your favorite speaking engagement is. What do you talk about most when you speak? I do a lot. I I do a lot right now around sales, uh, how to help people close sales and also doing a lot right now on the art of social selling, like how to put yourself on social media, Nice. content you should be putting out, percentages, what works. Uh, But we do a lot of things also on leadership, uh, growth strategies and tactics. Diversity and inclusion is also a good one. Of course, right now, it's a great one. But yeah. I say what we're getting hired for most currently during this time is the art of social selling and how to build and create your successful empire by being good at closing sales and pivoting through the sales process in our new world today. Nice. So important. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it's one thing to have a big social media following. It's another thing to be able to actually monetize your big social media following. <laughs> yeah. Big difference. Yeah, totally. Okay, talk to us about if you get shared the gems of wisdom from your newest best-selling uh, book, Success Cycle, is that right? Will That's you right. share some of the gold from that book so that people can plug into it? So there's three things I talk about in this book. Uh, ambition, which is about creating your blueprint and creating your roadmap for success. Drive, which is being inspired, over-motivated, and breaking out and stepping out of your comfort zone to achieve what you want. And then hard work focusing on yourself, not the competition. This book is a very short read, applicable action step based book to help you get from where you are to where you wanna be. That's what it is. Nice, nice. Okay, I wanna hear because I, uh, I, my people all know that I don't, I, I prefer inspiration over motivation. I wanna hear your take on that. What, what is that? What is the difference between the two? So inspiration, sorry about this slide. Yeah, um, no problem. So, so inspiration is when you are inspired and you breathe life into someone or something, or focus on someone, uh, and it creates an innovative way of them thinking and doing business. And then motivation comes from the word locomotive, which is the means to move in a short, powerful motion. And when you do that, what happens is you eventually will get burnt out because all you're chasing is the fiscal reward. You're not chasing creating a higher power, make a higher change for better good and for better humanity. Nice. Yeah, I love it. I always think about the difference exactly like you're saying. It's like the inspiration is that action from within where it's connected to your why and your bigger vision. And so you want to take action versus motivation is some sort of external force that's kind of telling you you have to do it. And then- And it's usually money. Totally. Yep. And you always burn out and it's much more stressful. You know, it's like when you're inspired to do something, you can get up every single day and do it for free for years until it turns into money, right? Two and a half, two and a half years. Yeah, that's so great. Okay, so tell us, what would you say are the top three max potential habits that got you where you are today? Number one is consistency, always being consistent. Number two was being inspired or driven to always create the higher degree of wanting to better myself. And the third, which is most important, is I've always and always will be an active listener. Mm-hmm. If I don't learn how to listen to people and better myself, then I'm gonna become exactly like I did with my old company, Caden, where eventually I thought I knew it all, and eventually I went bankrupt. Mm, okay, this is such a good one. And I, because I haven't had anyone say that yet as their top three max potential habits. So will you tell, share with listeners, what does it mean to be an active listener? Like what does it practically look like? So pra- what it means is, is listening to actually understand, comprehend, and put into your body and mind and your, and your whole you know, disposition what the person's saying and trying to understand them from their point of view and their perspective versus being someone that's listening, 
but you're listening to automatically respond with what you think you want to say. And that person might have been saying something so far off from what you were, what you think you want to respond with that it shows you weren't even listening. Yeah. And, uh, and that's exactly how I was with Kate, Tess Collin, trying to tell me what he was trying to tell me. I was not being an active listener because if I would have been an active listener, I would have listened to him, processed what he was saying and pivoted and got the hell off that job site or got a sign change order. But because I was listening to respond with what I wanted to say, because I was his boss and signed his check, he was like, okay, that's fine. You want to listen to me? I'm gone. One of my clients is a big organization I do some work with. Same thing. Trying to help leaders understand they have to actively, actually listen to understand and comprehend, not listen just to automatically fire back a response that you think needs to be said. Like I tell you all the time, some things are necessary, but not needed. And when something's necessary to say, at least, yeah, okay, it's important, but you may not need to, need to say it at that time. If someone's talking to you and trying to pour out their emotions and their thought process, shut up in a nice way and let them talk and let them express themselves. Yeah. And once they have and you listen, then come back with some type of response. But be sure the response is tied around what that person was saying. Yeah, I mean, the world would be such a different place if we did this, right? Every relationship, business relationships, parenting, partnership, like it's, 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 it's essential. How I my, my, I love my wife. First couple years of our marriage was hard. And you know what? To be honest, it was my fault because I would listen to her and I would respond with what I felt needed to be said. Yeah. We were married in the last, I'll say the last two years, we married five years, the last two years of our marriage, almost two years, 18, yeah, probably about the last two years, a little over two years, has been good. We don't fight much anymore. It's just, it's just, it's just like a little quick disagreement we go on. But we don't fight anymore. We used to argue like every other day. Again, I'll say a lot of it was all my fault. I was, I'll say all of it was my fault because I was just so prone to listen but not listen and really yeah. keep. Yeah. I just listen, like, we'll go on and off the other. I was like, I was like, okay, are you done talking yet? Here's my response. Today, she brings up something to me. I listen. I'm like, okay, I see what you're trying to say. That makes sense. This perspective, okay. All right, here's what I think. I think yeah. what you're saying makes a lot of sense. And I want to get respond in this manner. And I think I may not agree with this, but how about this? Because I hear what you said about that from that perspective. And yeah. now we're so five valuable. years. Yeah. So valuable. I mean, I'm sure you've read Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Of course. Yeah. Of so course. it's the diagnose before you prescribe. Of course. Tool. It's like, it, yeah, foundational for all relationships. And I think it, it's funny because I actually heard about active listening first in a relationship course I was taking and we would practice it. And it's amazing how you can think you're good at it even. And then when you really practice it and you're responding to the person and validating what they're saying and you realize how often we do have that preconceived notion in our head of like, Oh, I know, I already know what they're going to say. I already yep. know the answer to this, you know, but it's like the art of good coaching of course is in listening. And, and I think it helps. It, it's a helpful tool for anyone who's listening. So thank you for that golden nugget. That was awesome. Tell people, I'm sure they're going to want to read your books. Where is the best place to find you and give the names of both of your books as well. So they can find me on my, on, on our website, www.marcusmar.com. Q-U-E-S, Ogden, O-G-D-E-N.com. And uh, you can purchase both our books there. Our first book was called Sleepless Nights. And our second book is called The Success Cycle. And actually, The Success Cycle will be turned to an audio book with recorded books, one of the largest audio book recording publishers in our country and one of the most reputable. They are making it an audio book. They picked up our rights about four months ago. And uh, it'll be published now and available for order uh, to, you know, to download, I think, within, by August 1st, so what I'm told is correct. Oh, nice. So you can go to our website and see all that information right there. Perfect. That's great. Thank you so much. It's been, I, I, one of my favorite things about podcasting is having people come on to share their stories so that, that listeners can understand and resonate with this idea that business building, life building, Becoming a more empowered version of yourself is a zigzag journey. 
Like Absolutely. it just takes so many twists and turns. And, you know, it's like you've created a, you've been very highly successful in certain areas, been bankrupt, had trash on you, had your cars repossessed. Now you're building it all back up again. And it's like, to me, it's just such a beautiful story of how life goes. And I think it helps dispel the myth that it's a, you know, like overnight success or you get successful and stay successful, or it's not, you know, in my mind, I'm, I'm a mindset coach. So it's always thinking like, how is your mind powerfully in the game along the way, no matter what's coming your way. And, you know, so you just shared such a powerful journey of how that's been your path. So thank you for taking the time to share with listeners. Really valuable. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. Awesome. All right, everyone. Thanks again for being here for another week of Max Potential Habits. Oh, yeah, love, love, love that you're here. I do this podcast every week because I love sharing my wealth of knowledge with people, the listener, the, the interviewees, yeah, the guest interviewers, wealth of knowledge, different ways that we have played the game along the way and stayed strong throughout the entire process. And so I know that it's just a, a joy to be here and I wouldn't be doing this if you weren't here listening. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Make sure that if you're liking what you hear, you leave a written review, take a screenshot of it, send it to mphraffle at nfacoaching.com to enter into the monthly raffle. And until next week, I hope you have a max potential week where you thrive and feel alive. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Max Potential Habits Podcast. If you're liking what you've heard, it would be so incredibly awesome if you would subscribe to the channel and leave a five-star rating and a written review. This helps me help more people while we grow our NFA community so we can rock it out together. For Max Potential Habits resources, go to nfacoaching.com where you can access all of my resources. There's free eBooks, PDF checklists, a journal template, a business mindset meditation kit, and so much more. Plus links to NFA coaching on Instagram, YouTube, LinkedIn, and Facebook. And if you're super serious about up-leveling, there's also a link to schedule a free consult to work with me in group or one-on-one coaching. Until next time, I hope you have a Max Potential Habits Day where you get inspired to do whatever it takes to transform into the most empowered version of yourself so you can lead a rich, thriving, kick-ass life and business.